as a church, we want to be making disciples that make disciples. Disciples of whom? Disciples of Jesus. We want to be following Jesus, becoming more like Him, and encouraging and pointing other people to walk with and follow our Savior and our King. Uh, During our uh, sermon portions of our uh, worship service over the past several months, we've been working our way through the book of First Samuel. Now, some may have questions of, well, if you're trying to learn how to follow Jesus and be more like Him, why in the world would you be in the Old Testament? Well, uh, according to Jesus, the Old Testament, rightly understood and interpreted and applied, has much to say about Him. It points, every word points us to Him, uh, to His perfections, to His goodness, to what He was coming to accomplish, to the redemption that He would provide to His kingdom. Uh, and it's as His people that we look this morning in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18 to learn more about how to grow as followers of our King. Followers of the one that God has chosen to deliver, to save, to rule, and lead his people. Um, If we are doing, if I'm doing my job rightly on Sunday mornings, as we come to the scriptures, then we should hear much of Jesus. For to come away from a, a, a time in the scriptures and not hear about Christ not hear about His goodness, not hear about His accomplishments and his, our need for Him, then I have failed. So this morning, let's look to the Scriptures. Let's encounter Jesus that our hearts might be turned to follow and hope and rest in Him. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in chapter 18 of the book of First Samuel, uh, where we left off a couple of weeks ago. Uh, David, uh, the, uh, the chosen king by God to lead and rule his people, has just defeated Goliath, the champion of the Philistines, the enemies of God's people, because the king that the people had chosen was too scared to move forward and go and protect and provide for the people. We encounter in this chapter uh, what flows from that victory by David, the champion. Um, who will ultimately point us to Jesus. As we see, as we will find out later on uh, in 2 Samuel, if we ever make it there, uh, that God will promise to David that there will be an heir always on his throne who will rule forever, to whom will come all power and glory and honor. That person is Jesus The New Testament writers go to great lengths to point and show how Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise, is the heir of David who rules and reigns. So let's see how this chapter points us, God's people, to follow Christ. We're going to look at the whole chapter this morning, uh, chapter 18, verses 1 through 30 together. So if you would, follow along with me there in your copy of God's Word. If you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 241. As soon as he, that is David, 
had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David, because Yahweh was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people, and David had success in all his undertakings, for Yahweh was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Then Saul said to David, Here's my elder daughter Merib. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight Yahweh's battles. For Saul thought, Let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And David said to Saul, who, who am I and who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? But at, that, but at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel, the Maholathite, for a wife. Now Saul's daughter, Michael, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, You shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants, Speak to David in private and say, Behold, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now then, become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke those words in the ears of David, and David said, Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and have no reputation? And the servants of Saul told him, Thus and so did David speak. Then Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, The king desires no bride price except the hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. 
And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time had expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter Michael for a wife. But when Saul saw and knew that Yahweh was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle. And as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. Let's pray. Our God, we thank You for Your Word. Uh, We thank You uh, that through it, You are changing us. Through it, You are uh, working uh, in us and in the world. Uh, We thank You that it is uh, not uh, myth or tradition, that the very Word of God that comes with power. And we ask this morning that in a powerful way, we would encounter You. We would encounter Jesus. Holy Spirit, that You would apply the very Word of God to the hearts of all of us in here. That we would encounter Christ and be changed. It's for His glory and in His name we pray. Amen. Following Jesus as God's chosen King. We we'll look at three ways uh, this passage points and directs us as God's people to follow Christ as our King. Or if you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Christ, if you're just considering Jesus and trying to find out more about Him, then this will help give you uh, an understanding of, of what is necessary, what, what it is, is called for to follow Christ. We're going to see that if we're going to follow Christ as our King, we need to love Him. We need to glorify Him, and we need to seek His kingdom. First, let's look and see how this passage shows us that those who follow Jesus must love Him. I don't know if you noticed it in this passage as we, we read through it, but the, the language of love comes up often. It seems as if everybody in this passage has love for David, God's chosen king. Well, except for one person, Saul. And in fact, it's that contrast that helps us understand what this passage is seeking to do and instill in the hearts of God's people. Saul, the rejecter of God, the rejecter of God's king, his heart attitude and response to David is not what should embody the people of God. It's everyone else in this passage who is, has love for God's anointed one. Love for God's king. Notice first how we, we see they, they, they love him because of his words. Did you notice that in verse 1? Look at Jonathan. As soon as he, David, had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. It's in response to hearing the words of the anointed one, 
the words of God's chosen king, that Jonathan's response is to love David. To love him and to desire to be in in a, a covenant relationship with him. To love him and want to be connected with him. Notice how it goes on in verse 3. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Now, now some people want to seek to reinterpret this passage and portray this relationship between Jonathan and David as one of of, uh, homosexuality. That's the farthest thing from what this passage has anything to do with. Like I've said, we're getting ready to see everyone in this passage has a love, a loyalty. Their hearts are drawn to David as the king. And here we see Jonathan being the first one to respond in this way. He's loving the anointed one because of his words. But also notice others here love David, love God's king because of his his success, his victory. Look in verse 16. Well, actually, we'll pick up back in verse 14. And David had success in all his undertakings, for Yahweh was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fear for all of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. That language of going out and coming in is one of battle. It's one of war. Remember, this is what the people longed for when they had a king. We want a king that will go out and fight for us. Go out before us and fight our battles. But what has Saul done? Nothing. He's afraid. Yet here, David, as God's chosen king, the man of God's own choosing, he has great success. God is with him. And the response of the people through viewing and seeing the success and the victory that their chosen king has is one of love. They delight in him. They celebrate Him. They rejoice in Him. Notice, it's not just because of His words that that the people love Him or His success that the people love Him, but it's also because of the extent to which He goes to win those that He loves. Notice another person whose love is mentioned here is Michael, Saul's daughter. Look down in verse 20. Now, Saul's daughter, Michael, loved David. It's interesting in this passage that's talking about this relationship and the, uh, the courtship, I guess you could say, of, uh, of Michael and, and, uh, and David. It begins here with this, this statement of Michael's love for David. And in fact, this account of, of their, uh, their interactions and, and David needing to uh, secure a bride price for her ends with the same language. Look in verse 28. But when Saul saw and knew that Yahweh was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. Again, that love comes up again. It, it's, it's sandwiched. It's mentioning the love that Michael has for David And then the love that Michael has for David uh, draws our our attention when it's sandwiched like that to see what is it that is driving her love? What is in the middle of this account? And the middle of the account is the extent to which David goes to win and secure her. 
Do you notice uh, through this, when it's, it's mentioned and talked about, uh, remember one of the, the, the prizes that the, the one who would be the champion and go and defeat Goliath would be that he would be given the, the daughter of the king. When Saul finally comes around to fulfilling this promise, it takes a couple of daughters before he gets to, to Michael, uh, but finally he agrees to it. But David's response each time is, who am I? I'm poor. I don't have, I don't have enough. He doesn't have the, the, the money or the means to provide the bride price to pay to secure his bride. Saul gives him uh, a tough and difficult task. The, the lives of 100 of God's enemies. The, the reason that it describes it here is talking about uh, the bride price is 100 Philistine foreskins. This is a common thing during that time to provide body parts as uh, proof that you had killed who you said you would, you would, uh, you would take. Uh, and of Israel's in, uh, uh, surrounding the peoples around them at the time, the Philistines were one of the few people groups that did not practice circumcision. So one way to know, has David really killed Philistines, was to provide evidence that they were uncircumcised. And so that's what he does. But notice, Saul required what? 100. What extent does David go? David risking his life to secure and win his bride goes for 200, going to a much greater extent. And what is Michael's response? Seeing the extent to which the king goes to secure and win those that he loves, her heart is a response of love. And lastly, we see that the response of love of the people in this passage is due to the leadership of, of David. The way that he leads and rules as the king. Look in verse 22. It says, Saul commanded his servants, speak to David in private and say, behold, the king has delight in you and all his servants love you. Why do they love him? Well, if we look back over in verse 12, we see, uh, or verse, uh, verse 5, we see why. Uh, David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Why do they love him? It's because of the way that, that David exercises his leadership, his care, his authority over his people, over those that he's been entrusted with. And the people's response to his leadership is one of love, and their hearts are given over to him. But notice how all of this stands in contrast to Saul's reaction and Saul's response to the word of the king, to the success of the king, to the extent to which the king goes to win those that he loves, to to the leadership of the king. Uh, over and over, it, it brings up this language about Saul. Look in verse 15, his response. When Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe. Instead of love, Saul's response and reaction to David is one of, of fear. 
as he continues to go on, this, this, it, it comes up to see his, his reaction and response. In verse 21, his desire and his plan is, how can I get rid of David? I don't love him. My heart isn't connected and tied for him. I don't have great affection or loyalty to him. What do I want to do? I want to get rid of him. What is the opposite of love and affection but enmity? And is that not how we see Saul responding here? He doesn't love David. He is his enemy. In fact, in verse 29, the narrator tells us that that is exactly what is going on. Saul is even more afraid. There again, it comes out. This is in response to Yahweh being with David and Michael loving him. Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Instead of love, it's one of enmity, of, of hatred. What about us as we think, as God's people, think of our chosen king, the fulfillment of all that David was pointing to, to the coming of the Christ, of Jesus of Nazareth, God in the flesh. What is our heart response to him? What is your response as the people of God when you hear the words of your king? His words of peace. His words of grace. His words of truth. His words of forgiveness. His words of promise. Is your heart filled with love? As you read the Scriptures, is your heart moved more to love and delight in this King who has come to save and redeem you? What about as you reflect on His success, on His victory on your behalf? What enemy has He not overcome? How has God given Him great success to defeat all of your enemies? We've talked about this before. Our sin, the world, the devil. Jesus is victorious. He has accomplished all that our God entrusted Him to do. Why? Because of His love. His love for you. Does this victory, as we look and think about all that He has accomplished, move us to love and delight in Him? Here, in this passage, we see David going to great extents to secure and win his bride. The New Testament Scriptures, when it talks about the bride of the king, it speaks of the church being the bride. Michael loved David because of the extent to which he would go to win her. What about you and me, the bride of Christ? What extent did he go to leave the glories of heaven, to take on flesh, to suffer, to be willing, and in fact with joy, to give up his life in order to secure and uh, bring about your deliverance and your redemption, not just now, but for eternity, so that you are fully secured in His love and His redemption. Does that move us to love and delight in our Christ who leads us, who leads us with service and compassion and grace? Listen to what John, one of Jesus' apostles, says. 
about this love that we should have. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So that we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love We love because He first loved us. Why does Saul not have love? Why is Saul filled with fear? Because he knows that his rejection of God and his anointed is bringing about ultimately judgment and punishment. But that is not true for us who are looking and hoping and resting in Jesus. And the Scriptures say that that response to that love should be overflowing love from us, the people of God, to Jesus, the King of God. That is how we follow Him. We're called to love Him. But also notice, if we are to follow Jesus as our King, we're also called to glorify Him. Do you see how that comes out in this passage? Look, look over in verse 5. At first, it seems as if Saul is beginning to give David honor and glory. Look in verse 5. David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war. This is good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Due to David's success, Saul is beginning to glorify and honor David by giving him this great high uh, position in his army over all of the men of war. And in light of David's success, notice the response of the people. Look in verse 6. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing, to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David is ten thousands. They're ready to celebrate with joy, to glorify the King for the work that God has done among Him. It's proper to to see all that God is doing and for the response to be one of of glory, of joy, of celebration. But but notice, notice Saul's response. Instead of joy, instead of giving glory to God's chosen one as and celebrating the fact that God is accomplishing His purposes through him. Look at what it says in verse 8. Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. 
in my head, I, I read this next phrase in a, as he's pouting. They've ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they've ascribed thousands. The honor, the glory is going to David, and Saul can't stand it. Because if we are to follow God's chosen king, the anointed one, the glory must go to him. And Saul, it's burning him up. He's filled with jealousy. The rest of the chapter begins to play out and show how he is opposed and is seeking to get rid of David. Because as long as David is in place, the glory is going to him and not to Saul. Even we see it as the, the, the chapter ends. David had more success than all the servants of Saul so that his name was highly esteemed. What about us? We're a little more sophisticated than Saul, aren't we? When we hide our addiction to self-glory. I've never heard any of you come up to me after church and saying, you know what? We sing too many songs about Jesus. We should be singing more songs about us. Now, maybe you've been in churches where it seems like the songs are talking about you. But if we look at our hearts, what many times drives our coming to worship, our participation? in Lord's Day worship, or even in the fellowship of God's people? Is it the glory and honor of Jesus, our King? Or is it us? I'll wrestle with this. You know how hard it is and how much I struggle to not want when you leave here to be thinking much of me? And what I've said here on Sunday mornings, my heart is saying, they're ascribing ten thousands to Jesus and only thousands to me. I want more. I want your praise. I want your adoration. At the expense of what? The glory of Jesus. What about you? As you join a church, as you serve, is it because you want people to think much of you? To talk about what you're doing? Do you serve and contribute? Are you at work in the world so that people will come over and be like, whoa, what a godly and great person. Look at their gifts. Look at their skills. Look at all they're doing. Thank you for the impact you've been making in my life. Is it good when you hear that? Yes. But what's driving you? Are you a part of churches and you pursue and seek to join them because of what you can get out of it? That the songs are in your favorite genre or style? That the decor looks like you want it to look like? That they have the programs that meet the needs that you and your family are looking for and that you're consuming? Because let's not forget what our hearts are screaming. Church, it's all about us and our glory. No. If we're going to follow Jesus, we must understand that it must be all about His glory. In fact, later this afternoon, I want you to go back 
or go forward actually, and read over the first 11 verses of Ephesians chapter 1 and see how frequently and how often the glory of God is mentioned as being the focal point, the purpose, the reason, the driving force in all that God is doing in the world. We have been redeemed and saved and created to glorify our God and our King. And we see that in this passage, that we should rejoice that Jesus has received all glory and power and honor from our Heavenly Father. And we are beneficiaries of that. We're called to love Him. We're called to glorify Him. And lastly, we're called to seek His kingdom. Look back at verses 3 and 4 with Jonathan. Jonathan does something really strange here. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Why would... Why would Jonathan do that? These are emblems of his status as the heir to the throne. The kingdom should be his. If David didn't step in, I would be the one taking over after my father. But is that Jonathan's heart? No. I will give away all. In fact, I love and I delight to give away all vestiges of my kingdom. Everything that I'm holding, I will freely give over to God's anointed one because I want to see His kingdom thrive and flourish and go. I am willing to put aside all that I have been given, all that I have been entrusted, my status, my stuff, we'll even see that what this will mean is that by the end of 1 Samuel, you know what it's going to require of Jonathan? Suffering and death. For the coming kingdom of God's anointed one. How does Saul respond? Go back up to his little pout fest in verse 8. They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands, and what more can he have but the kingdom? That's what Saul wants. The kingdom. He's not seeking God's kingdom. Remember, how many times have we seen in this passage, Yahweh is with David. Why is Yahweh with David? Because it's through David that Yahweh is seeking to establish his kingdom. So Saul, by opposing the kingdom and not seeking the kingdom of God's anointed one, he is opposing the kingdom of God. What about us? We have been called with all the status we've been given, with all the stuff that God has entrusted us with to seek His kingdom. To put ours aside, all claims, all desires we have. This is hard. This is what humanity has been doing from the beginning. I don't want your kingdom and your rule, God. I want it all. 
So Adam and Eve was saying, this is your garden? No, this is going to be our garden, and we're going to do what we want because we know better how to experience joy and fullness of life. You're not going to tell us what to do. So we see that in our heart. Are we willing to seek God's kingdom at great cost? Realizing that it is going to call us to put off everything for the glory and honor of Jesus. It may even mean that as you seek the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Jesus, that King Jesus calls you to suffering. Are you willing? Am I willing and eager to suffer if my king calls me to that? To see his kingdom and his glory and his honor come? What has Jesus told us to pray? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Every time we pray, our heart, our motive should be to see the kingdom of Jesus come and arrive in its fullness and we have the privilege now to live it out. How are we going to do that? Through loving Him. Through glorifying Him. Through living a life that demonstrates and proclaims the greatness of the King who in order to bring about His kingdom suffered and died to redeem you and me. Do you want to follow Christ? Do you want to seek after Him as your King? Then let's love Him. Let's glorify Him. And let's seek His kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your grace and Your mercy to us as Your people. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You that we are able to hear and encounter Christ. We pray, as You know our hearts deeply, that we would let go of all other loves, all other desires for glory and honor and kingdom and rule and look and rest and hope in Jesus. For His glory, we pray. Amen.